I just want to say a big thank you to <clears throat> Pastor Mark and um, all the leadership and elders of um, your wonderful church, Milton King's Christian Center. I've never physically visited, but um, obviously my good friends and family um, are part of your membership and have been part of your membership for several years, the Komolafes, and they tell me all these wonderful things about what God is doing in and through your life. So thank you very much for having me uh, minister as part of the conversation um, that you are having. Uh, my name is Kofi Banful. I am the uh, pastor of Praise Christian Centre in uh, London, uh, Northwest London, uh, West Hampstead, Kilburn, and um, that's where we are based. Once again, thank you very much for having me. And I trust that our time together will be fruitful and be a blessing to every one of you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and for your mercy. Your word says the entrance of your word brings life and brings understanding to the simple. And we will be taught your engrafted word that is able to save our souls and give us an, uh, an inheritance amongst the saints. We ask you, Father, that you will bring us insight, revelation, that you cause your word to be so fruitful and so um, open to us that we will glean wonderful truths from your word that we can apply to our lives and see Jesus exalted in and through our lives. For this, we give you thanks. We give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. We pray and everyone says amen and amen. Well, the title of my message today is three for the price of one. And I'm sure somebody may be thinking, is this thing about a supermarket? Not really, um, because I don't think Asda or Tesco's or Morrison's um, or, or Sainsbury's will, will give you such an offer, three for the price of one, but we see it in scripture. And um, um, I'm going to share with you from the book of Matthew. So if you quickly turn with me into the book of Matthew in chapter number 19, We'll be reading from verses 1 to 8. Verses 1 to 8. So the scripture says, And I came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for um, a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer one flesh, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. 
I want to stop right there. So I, I'm sure you, you catch the picture here. Jesus was teaching and preaching as he usually uh, did or does. Um, um, and the Bible says he, he healed all these people. And the Pharisees um, came um, to test him. You know, they always were trying to trap Jesus. So they came testing him and they asked him a question about divorce. So the question they asked Jesus that he began to answer was about divorce. And um, he they, they put it this way in verse 3. And the Pharisees, sorry, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And that term or that phrase, just any reason, was exactly what was happening during Jesus' time. People were divorcing their spouses or for that matter, their wives for just any reason. You know, there were grounds from, from of which people, if certain things had gone wrong, the scripture says, talks about some key reasons why a divorce may be what one may, must look at. But, but from what we see in scripture over here, people were divorcing their wives or for that matter, their spouses for just any reason. All kinds of flimsy reasons, including um, a situation where, like in, in in under Jewish law, if somebody had died in the house, obviously anybody who went in the house was considered unclean. You had to go and go through some ritual purification before you could go back to your family. And what what husbands would do, who, who wanted to break up with their wives, would trick their wives to send food to the house of the deceased. And when she got there and she found out that the person was had passed away, obviously she had to come back and say I was unclean and go through that ritual purification. And some husbands would divorce their wives for that reason because they had plans to do that anyway. In other words, it was getting ridiculous. And that reminds me about the times in which we live. You know, so many marriages, I mean, young marriages are breaking down left, right, forward, and center. Um, and and, and in, in our time, people are breaking off um, their marriages for all kinds of uh, flimsy reasons. And that was the time in which Jesus lived. The Pharisees were seeing that happen, and they came to ask Jesus a question about divorce. But I like the way Jesus answered the question. Jesus you know, obviously the question was about divorce, but Jesus didn't go straight to divorce. Jesus began to lay certain things out like a good doctor. You know, when you go see a doctor about some, you know, maybe you have a pain in your body or some, you know, uh, you know, sickness or you're not you're feeling unwell. When you go, the doctor begins to diagnose the problem. He begins to ask you questions. If it's a pain in your body, you say, where, which part of your body? Um, he will ask you to maybe sometimes move, make movements of your arms if it's in, in different directions because he wants to find out what movement causes you the pain and so on and so forth. What he's trying to do is to diagnose the problem, not just go in there and then he just gives you some capsules or prescribes some medication to you without properly checking you out. So Jesus, Jesus, like a good doctor, began to go through this. We got to set a process in place. So he begins by, by saying, and he answered, verse 4, and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? It's so interesting. He takes them all the way back into the book of Genesis. 
chapter number one and two, where the Bible speaks about God created man and then later on created woman and then brought man or brought the woman to the man and the man chose the woman to become his wife and obviously called her Eve. And that is where the Bible says the two became one, one flesh in that sense. Now, obviously what Jesus was pointing to at that time is that before you get married, you must be single. Okay, and so when he took them all the way back into the book of Genesis, where he says that, and he made them male and female, what he was trying to say was that he made them single. All right, and at the time of being single, that is the time we have to prepare. That is, if you want to get married, being single at a certain point, you know, is the time you prepare for marriage. It is so interesting that the scripture says, when you go into the book of Genesis, and chapter 2, it says, it is not good that a man should be alone. But it didn't say that it's not good for a man to be single. Sometimes people think that that is what the Bible says. There's a difference between alone and the word single. The word single means single, unique, and whole. So if you're a single person and you are not, let's say you are of an age where maybe you could be in a relationship or getting ready to get married and you don't have a so-called boyfriend or girlfriend. And sometimes there's all this pressure on single people that, you know, you must be in a relationship. No, you don't have to be in a relationship if there is not a relationship that is going in a godly direction. There's so much more I have to explain, but I don't have too much time. So I want to stay with the main points. But one of the key things I want to say is that, you know, the Bible says it's not good that a man be alone. It didn't say it's not good for a man to be single. Because the word single there, God created us all really strictly single. And the word single is the word to be to be unique and to be whole. So in that state of being single, unique, and whole, that is where we prepare for a marriage. And the key point, the first point I want to talk about is this, is that for, for Jesus was saying, the first thing we have to do in our relationship is that we have to prepare for the marriage. And what I see people prepare for is they prepare for a wedding. And they don't prepare for a marriage. You know, in the UK alone, you know, the UK alone, the marriage industry in the UK is worth, um, I beg your pardon, the wedding industry. Okay, that is the celebration part. And I'm not, I'm not against wedding celebrations and so on and so forth. I, I love, love, lovely weddings, nice weddings that are people put together. The wedding industry alone is upwards of 10 billion and growing. 10 billion is a wonderful business to get involved in if you are thus minded, you know, you're thus led, you know, it's 10 billion. And one time I did some research just to find out what about preparation, things, how much is the industry for pre preparing people for a marriage? I'm talking about counseling, I'm talking about uh, literature, I'm talking about seminars, so on and so forth. Um, and do you know what? We couldn't get a figure for it. I, I thought that maybe I was not doing well. I've got my daughters who are more, you know, computer savvy, you know, because I did my own research to a certain point. I was not getting a figure. And, and, and they also tried and they said, that there's not an actual figure. We're getting bits and pieces here and there. And finally, we got to a point where we can, kind of came up with a figure 
of not more than five million that is in the UK. That is the marriage preparation. That is things like premarital counseling and and seeing a counselor or or pastoral support or books and literature that help people to prepare for the marriage. It came around five million pounds or under five million pounds. And the thing I'm trying to get across is this: people of God, ten billion is not a cousin. You know, I always like to joke about this. When somebody says, I'm a billionaire, and another person says, I'm a millionaire, I want to let you understand that they are not cousins. They don't have a relationship because billion is a thousand million. And so when somebody says, I'm a millionaire, they could, be, they could have maybe just five million pounds or three million pounds um, to their name. But when somebody says, I'm a billionaire, it means they have a thousand million pounds to their name. And they are not related. And the industry for weddings, I'm talking hiring of vehicles, of halls, hotels, you name it, is worth 10 billion. And so what we see here is that people prepare for a wedding which is for one day. But the principle God is trying to show us or the scripture is trying to point out to us is that we must prepare for a marriage. A marriage is supposed to last unto death do us part. So sometimes I like to ask young people, you know, you know, what have you read? What book have you read? You know, what godly book have you read that will help you with principles um, on relationship in the area of of understanding, um, you know, the difference between men and women, the needs that men have, the needs that women have, you know, what the scripture says about it. What have you spoken about as far as your finances are concerned? You know, what have you spoken about as far as having children or not having children? You know, there are so many things that one should prepare and get themselves like in the preparatory state. To prepare really means to make ready beforehand. For some purpose, you know, use or activity to put in a proper state of mind, you know, in other words, you're preparing for something. And uh, uh, our marriages is something that we have to prepare for, you know, and I'm not against people preparing for, for a wedding, but a wedding is one day. And after a wedding comes a marriage, all right? But people prepare so much for a, a, a a wedding, and I'm telling you these days with the young people, and I'm not knocking that I have young children. When I say I have, my, my children are young adults, and, and um, I've had opportunity of attending some of their their weddings and stuff like that, and it's a whole different level. You know, the oh my goodness, the different things that they do these days with their pictures, their pictures beforehand, their pictures on the day, the pictures after the day, all sorts of things. Um, right now, they're uh, uh, weddings, overseas weddings, and all kinds of stuff that people are getting into. And all well and good. I don't have anything against that. But my question is, are we preparing for a marriage or are we just preparing for a wedding? And if you fail to prepare, to prepare, you prepare to fail. So the first thing that Jesus was, I believe, was bringing across was sharing with us is that the first thing is we must prepare for a marriage. 
whilst we are single. That is when we prepare for a marriage. Then the next thing he said is in verse 5, he says, And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two um, uh, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now the second thing I see Jesus talking about here, obviously the, the marriage has taken place, because he said the two shall become one flesh. All right, and I like to use the term, they become one team. When, you know, the one flesh relationship is the, is, is the, is, happens only in a marriage, in a marriage, husband and wife. A daughter and mother are not one flesh, or parents and children are not one flesh. You know, siblings are not one flesh. The only time the Bible refers to the one flesh relationship is when it is a husband and wife situation. That is when the Bible says they are one flesh. In other words, your husband and as a husband and wife, you are supposed to be related to each other more than even the families that you came out of. You know, and that is for another time, another discussion in that sense. But that is what the Bible says, the two shall become one flesh. And I like to use the term, they, they become one team, all right? And you know what? Teams have their strengths. Team has have their weaknesses. But one of the things I know about teams is that they work to show their strength. There is no team that will be going onto a football game or going to play a, a cricket match. And then they begin to tell the other team, the opposing team, that, oh, no, you know, we are weak in this area. We are not the best. Our guy who plays this particular position, you know, he's sick. And so we have a reserve who is playing. He's not the best. Nobody does that. We all teams work together. Where they notice that they have weaknesses, you see that they have other players who cover those weaknesses so that you not even recognize that they are weak in those areas in that sense. Marriage is a team of two. That one flesh relationship is a team of two. And you know what? You don't just become one flesh. And this time, the principle that Jesus is getting across to the people is that when you get married, now you've got to maintain the relationship. Okay? So it's like buying, it's like buying a new car. You know, I, I, um, yes, a, a few years ago, a friend of mine told me that Pastor Mark um, uh, has got a Jaguar. Well, I'm also um, a Jaguar man. I don't know whether he still has his Jaguar, but I, I've had Jaguars for the last 20 years or uh, 25 years. I've, uh, I would say 25 years I've driven, driven all, the, all the Jaguars. Um, I, I kind of, um, I was not crazy about Jaguars. Somebody gave me one and, and that started my story with Jaguars. But if let's say Pastor Mark and I went to a Jaguar showroom and we bought brand new, two brand new Jaguars, and he drove off one direction and I drove the other direction with our brand new Jaguars. And um, after 5,000 miles, something came on the computer on the dash and said, you had to bring it for a service. And Pastor Mark took his car for a service. Then after uh, 10,000, it says you have to take your car for a service. And then he takes his car for a service. Guess what? I say, well, this is 10,000 miles is nothing. It still can run. Then after maybe 20,000 miles, uh, something comes up and, you know, Pastor Mark takes his car back for the service as he's been instructed. I said, all they want, all Jaguar wants to do is just take my money so I'm not even taking Mark. So I keep driving that car now, but something 
disastrous happening to Pastor Mark's car, maybe an accident or something of the sort, if he just keeps taking it for a good service over the years and so on and so forth, and I keep driving my car, not paying any attention to the service noticing to give it any kind of maintenance. Now, it's not rocket science. One of our cars is going to grind to a halt one day, totally break down one day, maybe on the motorway someplace, and you don't have to guess whose car is going to be. It's going to be my car. Why? Because I refuse to maintain it. Now, one of the challenges I see in relationships is this. People, you know, you know, sort of, I like to put it this way. They, they get married, and so they bring their brand new married relationship into their home. And then they stop maintaining it. And what happens is that when we get married, I see that with time. I watch different couples. I counsel with different couples. And one of the things that we begin to do, we begin to drop the ball when it comes to maintaining our relationship. We don't look out for each other anymore. Our communication begins to be very scanty and, uh, and lousy. Whilst when we were dating, we, you know, we spent, now you notice that when couples, some couples are dating, they spend a lot of time, you know, talking, talking, talking. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. When you are dating, you could not have enough of that wonderful lady. You complimented her hairstyle, you know, and it was the same hairstyle, but you always complimented it. And she cooked you a meal and you always said something nice about a meal. Now you're married, you don't even say anything. Now she's got about three, four, five different hairstyles and you don't even want to say anything about it. Listen, folks, we have to go back to these things. These things maintain the relationship. It's so important that we do it. The last and final principle, so that I don't run out of time, is we've got to renew our relationship. I didn't say renew your spouse. I didn't say renew your spouse. I said we've got to renew our relationship. You know, um, you know, our relationship is like a house. You know, you have a house. You know, with time, you decide to do certain things like change the windows. Maybe before when you bought it, um, you didn't have a double glazing on the windows. But with time, you have a bit of money. You you begin to to change the windows or or maybe if it was carpet and you didn't like carpet you strip the carpet and you put in polished uh, wooden floors or something or you put in tiles in the kitchen you begin to make renovations so that it suits you guess what we are supposed to do the same thing in our married relationship we have to renew our relationship that is what brings permanence and adds value to our relationship, just like you do with a house, where you make sure that not only do you maintain the house, but you renovate the house you so that you add value. We are supposed to do the same thing. We must renew our relationship. Well, thank you. My time is fast spent. My time is up. Thank you for allowing me, Pastor Mark, and your, your, your leaders. Thank you for allowing me to come to, to you via this medium. And I'm sure one day we'll have the opportunity, you know, um, we are all believing God for the tide of this pandemic to be totally rolled away. I believe it's, it's, it's happening. It's going to happen. And we can celebrate Jesus together and hopefully we'll visit one another one day. God richly bless you and thank you for having me come to you. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.